Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June the 9th, 2020. This is episode 2,675 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I'm kind of jazzed about today because I'm, I'm going to tell you about something that I've been kind of talking about for like the past five days. But I haven't really revealed, like, how quickly this is moving and how big this is going to be. So I have been talking about putting together a podcast supergroup. And since I'm old, I might say something like, you know, like, think of the damn Yankees from the the 80s, you know, Ted Nugent put together. And um, this idea came to me, as as, if you've been listening recently, that you know that Curtis Stone did a a video. Just I, I think he got kind of a wild hair up his ass. You know, I don't think it was really a concerted idea to, like, do something. It was just, let's get people who are in this space, mostly the regenerative agriculture space, and let's get their thoughts, and let's get them out there. So he, he did a video with his thoughts on, on five things that are needing reform, and that's pretty much an understatement in society. And I was one of the people he tagged in it. So I did a response video, and as I did that video, my mind went, a thousand miles an hour like it it often does. And I started thinking, what if we did this in a more organized way? And I thought it started thinking about some of the people that I know that not only are excellent people in the livery movement that are very smart, that know a lot of things, that have a lot uh, uh, behind them as far as ideas and concepts and things that can actually be practically done, but they're also pretty damn diverse in the way that they came at them. And additionally, they all have a pretty big following, just like I do. And I thought, what, is, what about the power of a group? And I, I, so I reached out to some of my favorites. And, and one, the only reason I haven't named her is because she hasn't definitely said she's in yet. And I don't name people till they say they're in. Um, but right now, I got five guys. And I just listen to these names Pete, Pete Quinones, Vin Armani, John Bush, Xavier Hawk. Curtis Stone, that are all in on this. And I want to push this number, including me. That puts us a six. If this other person says yes, and I think she's going to, that will be seven. You know, we need like five more to get to 12. And then my, and everybody's pretty much in agreement with the format that we're on right now that we will probably do one recording a week, and we all agree to show up to at least two. Every member of the panel will show up to at least two a month. That makes us a lot less of a burden to bear, that's part of the power of a group, and do roundtable discussions on these formats, split those things in half, and then have two episodes come out a week, maybe like a Monday, Friday, or something like that, I don't know, or or maybe two days back-to-back, we'll figure that out down the road. Well, I've kind of been leaking that we're doing this and, and talking about it, but we're so far along already, it's kind of crazy that this all happened in about five days. And it's all because Curtis Stone took a shot at something. And, you know, the years of doing the show and having the connections it seems to have paid off. And I, I, I can't wait to see what it becomes. And I cannot emphasize this enough, as I've been saying. I'm not the leader of this. Uh, in some capacity, I am leading for a time to get this up and running. 
But we are going to practice leadership by need. And that means a leader that steps up when what they can do is necessary and steps the hell out of the way when they're done. Because you seek to help rather than to control. We want to do everything in this by example. And we even have a cool name I'll tell you more about in a bit. But this thing is coming together quickly. And when I start to think about the talent and the reach behind it, I think what you're going to hear about today will be incredibly encouraging because it won't be about us. It'll be about what we can do to help you figure out what you want to do because that's the goal here. We're planning on making this thing 100% non-commercial. We don't want any money out of it. We're not forming a corporation. We're forming an agreement, a cooperation between individuals to function as a group to do this thing, to get this initiative going so that individuals can then reach out and create their own groups in any piece or part of this they want, in any way that they want. And what we most want to model is the method of communication to build consensus when the goal is common, but the tactics and the techniques may be not be all in line at the beginning. And to be at peace with, well, this guy wants to do it this way and you want to do it that way, so you just go do your thing and see what works better. Right? Anyway, before we get to that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. Look, guys, when all of the gun-grabbing stuff starts, when all of the hysteria starts over things like riots, when anything ever uh, puts pressure on the firearms market, ammo seems to dry up before the guns. It seems like magazines go, then ammo goes, then guns disappear. That's kind of the order of demand, and it's probably because most of us have guns already. So magazines are always better to have more of those, and ammo goes in the gun. Uh, and also ammo in magazines are less expensive than the guns themselves, so it's kind of the, the pecking order. So I just stock up on ammo when everybody isn't, and I do that at BulkAmmo.com because they ship it so fast there's no reason for me to leave my house, and they'll ship it even during a lockdown. And they did, I'll just say that. And anyway... Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. Remember, they do do a discount for members of the MSB. Next up, I, I've been saying silver and gold in your portfolio, your lifestyle assurance program from day one of the show. And I've never been one of these guys. Gold money is just paper. Get everything into gold and silver. Because the people that say that, they want your money to give you gold and silver because they're selling it to you versus giving you good, solid advice. I say 5 to 10% of your net wealth in silver and gold is a long-term wealth assurance program, and hopefully you'll never need it. And it can be handed down to your heirs, and that's between you, me, and the fence post, as we say here in Texas. It's an anonymous form of wealth that can be transferred from one hand to the other that no one else can get in the way of unless you decide to let them do it. And that even works when you're, like, I don't know, conducting agorist commerce as well. Just leave it at that. But why jam bullion? There's lots of places to buy silver and gold. Same gold, same silver. That's the point of silver and gold. Less money, better customer service, free shipping, and discount for my members. Why would you get it anywhere else? Take them out today, jambullion.com, and let's get into this. So I want to bookend this thing um, with Bill Mullis, and I, I cannot emphasize enough that what we're doing is not, 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 like a dedication to permaculture. Like the whole thing is about permaculture. Permaculture will play a part in it. Many of the people involved are of the permaculture school of thought and view life through a permaculture lens, and some don't. I bet you we all probably agree with the ethics of permaculture because if you agree with the non-aggression principle 
uh, in general, then you probably are going to come down on, yeah, the ethics are pretty much the non-aggression principle broken into three facets of permaculture. So even though I'm using Bill Mollison here, this is not about permaculture for the main idea today. Um, this is a quote that I've given many times. I have the short version in the graphic uh, for the episode today, but I want to give you the long, full version of the quote for full context. This is from an interview done many years ago with Scott London uh, back in 2005 and an interview with Bill Mollison that was called Permaculture, a Quiet Revolution. The final question that um, Scott London asked Bill in this interview was, is permaculture a revolution, full stop? And... Bill responded with the following, It is a revolution, but it's the sort of revolution that no one will notice. It might get a little shadier. Buildings might function better. You might have less money to earn because your food is all around you and you don't have all, any energy costs. Giant amounts of money might be freed up in society so that we can provide for ourselves better. So it's a revolution, but permaculture is anti-political. There is no room for politicians or administrators or priests, and there are no laws either. The only ethics we obey are care of the earth, care of people, and reinvestment to those ends. And this is why I always said Bill Mollison was an anarchist who didn't call himself an anarchist because he used the, the mainstream's definition of the word anarchy, which would lead to chaos. But I can't think of a more anarchistic statement other than... There is no, then, then this one, there is no room for politicians or administrators or priests. And there are no laws either. We only obey ethics of care of the earth, care of people, and reinvestment to those ends. And that is, it can be summed up in, in the words that Vin Armani has been using for quite a few years now that I'm maybe going to suck into this podcast supergroup as a slogan. And that is, individual insurrection through group action. That's kind of where we're, we're going with this, and that's what Bill's talking about. Individual insurrection through group action, because since the there is it's anti-political, and the politicians and priests and administrators don't get to say shit, anybody can do anything as long as they adhere to the ethics, which are basically a statement of the non-aggression principle, broken down so that they can be better, they can be better understood. You don't hurt people, you take care of people, and, and you reinvest in people. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Okay? Very, very simple. And that means anybody can go forward with these ideas anywhere. And you don't have to tell people, hey, create groups. Because people create groups. That's what we do. But it's usually individual action that creates something that people want to be part of that creates a nexus that forms a group. And once that group is formed, if the person that was the nexus of that group, the person that initiated the, the movement, is smart enough and humble enough to get the hell out of the way of what they created and let it do its thing, it will progress naturally like a natural ecosystem. That's what I'm trying to do with this. That's what I, I want to follow the example that Mollison left for me. Right? When he died, I planted trees for Bill, which is what he asked. But I think this is more important than planting a few trees. It's planting ideas that can grow into mighty trees. That's, that's what I'm trying to do here. And so I've been thinking about, like, for this to work, I do have to play a little bit of the marketer. And here's the story of how this idea came up. So I was on Facebook. And somebody posted, in response to one of my posts, a picture of a flag. 
And it was a goose on a yellow flag, kind of like the, the, the libertarian flag or the Gadsden flag. And so instead of a snake, it was a goose. And it just said, leave me alone. And I thought that was kind of funny. And so I posted, I said, this is the new flag. And this is before any of this idea for this thing came up. I just, as a joke, grabbed that image, threw it in my feed, and said, hey, the flag of our new insurrection is here, or something like that. And a guy named Jake, not the Jake I'm always picking on, different Jake, um, said, hey, you can actually buy that flag. Here's a link for it. And by the way, UnloosetheGoose.com is available. So I thought that was funny, and I was like, I'm not going to do anything with it. And so we started thinking about what to call this, and we're not sure we're going to do this yet, but so far people kind of like the idea. We're thinking about calling the show Unloose the Goose with the tagline, Individual Insurrection Through Group Action. We do not seek to be alone, only to be left alone. So we want to work together. We want to be in groups. We want to be in groups that self-organize. And we simply want to be free to try our ideas, at least up until the point where we actually hurt somebody else. And much like the goose, the geese get a bad reputation for being aggressive. The goose and the fire ant have a lot, something in common, though. Geese do not like just go looking for trouble and go jacking people up, even though it seems that way sometimes. I guarantee you, when you see a wild Canadian goose tearing ass after somebody, that there are baby goslings not far away. Otherwise, they pretty much leave people alone. They defend their family. That's what they do. When you have when you have refused to leave them alone, even though you are bigger and stronger and can easily kill a goose, they will do all they can to jack your shit up. And kind of that's where I want to be in this world. I want to be as peaceful as we possibly can. Please leave me alone. And when I say leave me alone, I don't mean I want to go off and be a hermit. I mean the people who I work with who want to work with me, who have chosen voluntarily to work with me, and we are all doing things together for a common ideal, and the ideal is probably one you actually want, but what, the only thing you really object to is the method that we're using, and not being able to control it, you want to be an administrator, a politician, or a priest over what we're doing, then and only then will we jack your shit up, because we believe in non-aggression, but we also believe in the right to defend ourselves. And so I can't think of a better way to do this. And I also think that, like, as a marketer, there's two ways to name something. One, you do what I talk about all the time. You say what you do and do what you say. With something that's broad and diverse, it's pretty big, tall order to bring it together. Or you market something simply memorable and let people brand it in their mind in the way that they want to see it. So I think this might be a good idea. I did purchase the name UnloosedTheGoose.com just to make sure one of my haters out there didn't buy it if I put it out as an idea. It's not necessarily what we're going to do, but I like it. The basic concept for people that have not been paying attention is we get this group of, of folks together and we take one big issue or maybe two big issues for an episode and we discuss it. And we discuss it in a very open manner. And we are all allowed to disagree with each other. What we are not allowed to do is criticize each other as individuals. We can critique ideas, but even in that, instead of saying, I think your idea is wrong, it's a, it makes a lot more sense and, it, and it's a lot better toward building consensus to say, well, what about trying this instead? Or not even instead. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this idea? Here's how that idea might be better. Here's how that idea might be flawed and what we can do to shore that up to find a redundancy. Or here, Here's the flaw that I see. I don't see a solution. Does anybody in the group see a solution? And the idea being that when we look at something like the idea of putting together a physical community is going to be the first 
hot button one I'm going to talk about today in my kind of ending here. We all agree that it would be great if people could get together and live the way they want without interference. And that's the goal. The how is different from the what. And in these discussions, we want to focus on the what, and the how is more like brainstorming. And so we just talked about something like a tagline in a show name. You know, please leave me alone on loosethegoose.com. Please leave us alone. That was the idea I thought to modify that so that it, it, it is more inclusive to groups. You know, individual insurrection through group action. We do not seek to be alone, only to be left alone. Is that is that right? I don't know. But I can tell you this. When I led marketing sessions and we had a new brand or product or something to work on, and we got 20 smart people in a room, the rule was if it's if it if it shows up in your head, if if you think it, speak it, and no one will shit on it. We'll write it on a mar on a board, and the only thing we're going to do is judge them against each other and see if maybe some of them go together and, and does it work. And sometimes things that didn't seem to make any sense made sense. You know, birds. Let's let's stick with birds for a minute. I'll tell you that. The uh, the whole Aflac with the duck, right? I had nothing to do with that, by the way. But there was a guy in a marketing firm with they were trying to win over Aflac as their marketing, and they came up with the duck because he was just outside, like smoking a cigarette during a break, and they were all ready to give up. And he kept thinking Aflac, Aflac. That, that sounds like a duck. And they got this crazy idea to pitch a duck, and they did. And it became a very successful marketing campaign because people like ducks, right? That's why I'm a duck farmer. People like ducks. They're agreeable creatures. So. That is how you have to come out of brainstorming uh, a discussion. You have certain principles that you agree to, such as non-aggression and the right of self-determination and self-defense and the concept that liberty is precious. And then you say, this is the thing we want. The, the classic thing somebody brought up in one of the comments from the show that I did recently was, you don't want a drill bit, you want a hole. A drill bit is one way to get a hole. You can also get a hole with a bullet. Which one's right for the job? What are you putting a hole in? What kind of hole do you want? How big do you want it to be? A, a torch will make a hole. A shovel will make a hole in dirt. What kind of hole are you looking for is very important. And then you can discuss the ways to get that hole. And if you do that, and you put smart people together, and this is the key, all individuals are smart in some way. In the words of Tommy Lee Jones, people are dumb, stupid, scared animals. But a person is smart. So every person is smart. And when we, we have a group, instead of acting like a mob where we now act like people, we act like a group seeking consensus so each individual can act like a person as part of the group. So that's the basic concept of this, and I think it's going to be really cool. Um, I also want to talk about some components in this that I'm trying to instill and then let organically become whatever they are by the group's direction, right? And one is the importance of a leadership organization, a leaderless organization. When you have an organization with a true leader, with a true individual that this person is the figurehead and the leader of that organization, if that organization starts to uh, upset the power apparatus, what do you do? You cut off the head of the snake, you take out the leader. Okay, if you and so you'd have to take this bigger than just a group of people. So if a movement has a headquarters, and you have a problem with that movement, what do you do? You you cut the head off the snake. You take out the headquarters, right? If a if a group is a corporation, 
within the establishment of a state, and that state wants to take you out, they attack your corporation and tear it apart, and they use their own legal system to do so. Right? If you try to compete with the power company, you put in a power apparatus, you have to then get access to their infrastructure or build your own, and you have to deal with all the rigmarole and rigor you know, that you have to do to, uh, to play in that space. If you develop a decentralized power generation system that people can install themselves at their house, could be solar, could be something else, who knows, you get around that, at least to a degree. All solutions tend to be decentralized, and that means that you can't have a leader and expect to not be vulnerable because the leader is a vulnerability. The leader could have their ego get too big. The leader could decide they want something the rest of the people do not want. The leader could go crazy. The leader could get sick. The leader could die. But if there is no leader and there is only a group and there is a mechanism by which the group operates, the people that are actually part of the group can change. Like cast members in a well-written show when the show goes on. And that's why I think that's incredibly important. I also think that it's important that if you're going to do anything that's really meaningful, that when that's going to work that way, that when you're dead it's going to keep going, then it has to be bigger than you are. It has to be bigger than you think is reasonable. You have to be a little bit scared at what you're trying to accomplish. You have to be a little bit fearful that you will fail and then be fearless in your action anyway. Or it may not even be really worth doing. Not if you want it to have legacy. You, don't have, to be, you, you have to let go of having the legacy be connected to you. If, if you do a good job, it probably will anyway. In spite of any efforts that you will make to avoid it, it probably will anyway. But it needs to have legacy apart from you. It needs to be bigger than you. It needs to be something that you're willing to let go of. You can't change the world and control what you're doing to change the world at the same time. Those two things are incompatible. Changing the world is changing the way a significant portion of 7, 8 billion people act. You can't control that and get it to happen. That's the, that's the methodology of the state. The state doesn't care about the individual. The state cares about the mob because here's an interesting thing. Somebody said yesterday on Facebook something along, is it wrong to judge entire groups of people? And I said it depends. I said on what? And I posted the little gif with the Tommy Lee Jones thing for Men in Black. A person is smart. People are dumb, stupid, dangerous animals. So if you look at the mob, you can't say just because all these people got together in this place and wore the same shirt and hold up the same sign that all the individuals will behave a certain way. But you can bet your ass that mob's going to determine and function a certain way. And we can look at what brought that mob there or that group there. And it might be for good or for evil that their actions, but it's actually not hard to figure out how that group is going to act. And if you want to control this country, if you split it in half, even though within that, that false dichotomy, there are millions and hundreds of millions of individuals, 300 million individuals, so roughly 150 million individuals on both sides of that false dichotomy. And those individuals on both sides are incredibly diverse, and they have more in common with somebody on the other side than they do with you. You can still easily move that crowd, in the words of a famous Greek uh, emperor. I'm sorry, a famous Roman emperor. So that its movements are entertaining to you, with a movement of your hand. 
because you can know how that group will act. But if you want to change how the group acts, you have to be willing to set in motion things that empower the individual and allow them to coalesce into their own groups that will act as they see fit. And you have to let go of them. And that's certainly bigger than you. And it's the only way to be successful, in my opinion. Um, one of the things I think that makes this that, makes it bigger than me, and makes it have a way to take on its own, is the people willing to do this are willing to do something that is selfless on some levels. On some levels, it's selfish. It's good for us. It is good for me to, a few times a month, be on air with people like Vin Armani and Curtis Dump and have their people come and be part of what I'm doing. I'm also taking my, my community and my listenership of over 200,000 people and saying, hey, go listen to this with these other people on it, including the episodes I'm not on. We are willing to share what we have built as individuals with each other. But what that enables for you guys is for you to reach people in their communities. So we're talking about creating a larger, broad, cross-network community of problem solvers, doers, and consensus builders. So on, on some level, we want to create some sort of a community for you guys to talk to each other. Whether that's Facebook or MeWe or some third-party platform, we don't know yet. Um, we're discussing that now. The beauty of Facebook is 90% of people use it already. They already have an account set up, and you could just create a Facebook group around Unloose the Goose or whatever we call this, right? And it would, it would populate quickly. The, other pro the problem with that, though, is we're talking about doing some things that the establishment is not exactly key on. They're not illegal, necessarily, but the establishment's not key on. And a lot of things that we want to do in this, this world are seen for some reason as being hateful or offensive or whatever when there's really no reason for it. You're talking about a, a group of people who generally could give a flying shit about somebody's race or sex or sexual orientation. Because if you believe in liberty and freedom, then you believe in liberty and freedom. You believe in principle over preference. Vin's words as well, right? So since you believe that, then you have to give other people liberty and freedom. And even if you choose not to directly associate with them, you don't exclude them from trying to accomplish the same goal that you want accomplished. But society is built on control, and this type of thinking is very dangerous for that. So you already have an organization that censors people. You already have an organization that spies on people. You already have an organization that shares people information. I really don't want to build another community there. It's easier, but I don't want to do it because I don't trust these bastards. MeWe would be a great place to do it because I have a core group of people, much smaller than the Facebook following, but there are already people behind these ideals. So if I set up a community there, if we set up a community there, as more people come in, there's already a seed base setting a good example. My other idea is to set up, basically, incentivize you guys to set up your own Zello groups around your own ideas. And we'll use Zello, probably, myself and the rest of this group. I don't want to speak for the group. I propose this. But my proposal was we set up a private Zello channel. So if you have a conference call to plan what we're doing, we just use a Zello channel. Because, well, first of all, Zello only lets one person speak at one time, so you're not cutting each other off, so that just is a good thing. But, I mean, it's free, and it's anywhere that there's an Internet connection. And that means if we say we're going to all jump on at 5 o'clock tonight, we just do. So I think that what we want to do is we want to model behavior that you guys can grab onto and say, I'm going to do that over here with my people. And screw Jack and screw Curtis. Their ideas for this is stupid. My idea is better. Good. 
because we have the same goal in mind. And since I can't be a politician, administrator, or a priest, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. I just get to model behavior and hope that you take the core ethic of it, the core ethos of it, and make it part of whatever you do toward an end that we would we likely agree upon. And that brings me to solving the problem versus pushing the solution that you're married to. I think that's what we have to, again, we have to get back to, well, what we want is not a drill bit, you know, that's made of titanium. What we want is a hole. Now, maybe if we want a hole in really hard steel, maybe a titanium drill bit is the right solution. Maybe a, a hardened steel, I don't know. what, But we have to figure out, what is the solution to this problem? You know, or, or you know, what is the what is the goal? And so that we're, what we really have a hard time doing in society is staying first at the level of strategy. We want to instantly move into the world of technique and tactic. So when it comes to self defense, what is the goal of self defense? It's not to beat the piss out of somebody. That might end up being a tactic that you have to employ. But the goal of self-defense is to remain unharmed and alive and happy and able to go back to your family. So a self-defense tactic is, gee, that looks like a shitty place to be right now, and I have no real reason to be there, so I'm not going to go there. But everybody wants to get into the technique of how to throw a punch instead of sticking up with the strategy of how do I stay alive and unharmed. So we really need to be coming at these discussions, and not just my group, but all groups that discuss these things. How, because you'll find that the liberal, the conservative, the libertarian, the anarchist, all actually in most instances have the same goal. It's the tactic and the technique that creates the differential. And so if we can start with the goal, and let go of tactics and techniques for a moment. And have faith that our ideas are indeed as good as we think they are. And have confidence in our fellow man that our ideas can be made better by hearing them out fully. Then we, if, we're, if we're competing in the world of ideas, we're not worried about the government taking over. Because first of all, nothing a small group of individuals does outside of government is going to enable government to take over anyway. As soon as you go to this place, you become anti-state, whether you know it or not. Because you start saying, well, what can we do here without them there bothering us as we attempt to do this? And it's very, very powerful. And that leads to the concept of something that I've, I've seen passed around in different terminologies for, but it's been called by a lot of uh, places, it's called the talking stick. You have a group of guys around a campfire, right, and we're all talking about something, and you have a staff of some kind of ornamental staff. And like Bill has the talking stick. Everybody shuts up. And everybody looks, you know, you're not sitting there picking your butt while Bill's talking. You look at Bill. You respect Bill. Bill's part of the group for a reason. So you shut your hole and open your ear holes and you give Bill your full attention. And you listen from a standpoint of taking it all in, understanding it, and then being able to maybe contribute rather than listening for the purpose of responding. Because you might listen and realize, at this point, I don't have anything to contribute. So I'm going to shut my mouth further 
and see who else speaks. And if you do that, you might find that the thing that you most have to contribute is waiting for that thing. This is actually a very interesting group dynamic, and we'll only be able to do this so well as a group podcasting. But I encourage you, when you get people physically together, this is like, to me, this is the one case for face-to-face meetings versus conference calls. And it's so rare in business, unless you can have a really disciplined group that you can get this mindset into, it's probably not the case at any time in business you need to get everybody in the same room. It's just a waste of time and resources. And, 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 and mutual mental masturbation is all that it tends up being for companies. But if you're really trying, like you're doing a mastermind-level discussion, and everybody gets in the right energy state, and I'm not talking about some weird, crazy, metaphysical thing here. I'm just talking about human beings are energetic beings. We run on electricity. If you shut off the electrical flow in a human body, you get instantaneous incapacitation, and very quickly you get death. We are electrical, we are bioelectrical uh, mechanical organisms. I believe that spiritual goes in there as well, but for my point, it doesn't have to. And so there is a certain energy flow. There's a certain energy dynamic in communication. So when you see people debate, you can actually see one person literally suck the energy from the other person. If we reverse that to giving energy to the other person, so that when that person is speaking, we literally are not just focused on them and listening to them and hearing them, but on some mental level, contributing our energy to what they're doing. Then what happens is what they say becomes more powerful and more empowered. And when they stop, a lot of times, this is a weird phenomenon, but all of a sudden the whole group will just look at somebody who maybe wasn't even prepared to speak because everybody just kind of knows, this is Tom. This is Tom's time. And when everybody looks at Tom, Tom speaks. Now again, we can try to do some level of that, but when you're remote, it will be more difficult. We're going to probably do more of the electronic raising of our hands. Hey, i got something to say, and then when Bill's done, we'll call on Tom type of thing. But try that when you're having group discussions. And you can do this with kids. Kids actually pick, on this way, pick up on this way faster. Way faster. Once every kid in a group, and there's a size limit to these groups, but once every kid in a group knows they're going to be heard, and that their job is to speak when it's their time and to listen when it isn't and to focus on who's speaking, kids pick up on this dynamic and all of a sudden you see kids having conversations like the 30-year-olds. Or I should say the way 30-year-olds should have conversations. It's pretty amazing. So that's the talking step concept, and we're going to try to keep that into what we're doing. Um, and I want you to understand, like again, the point of this is anybody can and should do this in their own backyard. I keep getting questions about mutual assistance groups and things like that. And I think what you do is you lead with the relationship. If I wanted to put together a group of people here on these ideals, I might actually form a group. Just I wouldn't even call it permaculture, because a lot of people that are in and doing permaculture right now don't know the word, right? So I might just do a group on organic gardening or vegetable gardening or fishing. Or a gun club. Or anything that the activity naturally attracts people that think commonly. And then let the relationships lead the formation of group. But once the group is formed, then use this mutual respect concept. And just, you can do this with a single individual. Have you ever thought about, well, what would you do? And shut up. Do not have your answer ready to go. Even if you have an answer now. 
put that answer in your back pocket and listen intently. And instead of, well, I would do this, attempt to build on whatever they say. And if you form groups that way, what happens is pretty incredible. But if you go out and say, I want to form a group of anarchists, you're going to get people that, that don't know what that means who are anarchists not contacting you. And you're going to get people that think they are anarchists that want to burn down your town contacting you. And it's probably not going to work anyway, even, even beyond what I just said. Because you're trying to force a relationship in a direction before the relationship exists. And this is not how humans work. This is not how humans have ever worked. The relationship always precedes the direction of the group. The relationship comes on a common value or thing or, or activity, and then further common values are reviewed through discussion, and goals then become part of the direction. It's natural. It's as natural as planting a bean seed and watching it grow and watching other plants that prefer shade grow in the shade of the vine. Okay? Um, I, real quick, I want to touch on one more time why I feel that all solutions are decentralized. I kind of covered it earlier because, again, if you have a leader of an organization, the organization is a problem, you cut off the head, you get rid of the leader. If you look at how our government attacks what looks like a very decentralized thing, which is you know, terrorism, They still look for the figureheads, and they go after the figureheads. And then they make a big deal when they kill one of them. But you'll see that their struggle is that there's always another one. And maybe the one you thought was the leader wasn't even the leader. They just, you know, I don't know, did, did tweets that were beneficial to the group or something. I don't know. I don't really actually spend a lot of time in that world. Because, again, I'm a big believer on circle of influence, circle of control, Those two go way before circle of concern. So there's a lot of things in this world that I am deeply concerned about, but I also know that I have no influence on or extremely small amounts of influence on and zero control over. So I know that what I need to do is work within my circle of control, which will expand my circle of influence and thereby reduce how much time I spend thinking about my circle of concern that I have no control or influence over. And that makes me effective. And that's what I want to model that behavior. Instead of sitting around, you know, like people seem to feel like if I let go of worrying about X, X will get worse when they actually know they have no influence or control over X. It's like worrying about a hurricane in the Gulf. You might want knowledge of it because if you live somewhere that can be impacted, you have people you care about, you want to know. Because what's in your circle of control is like evacuating, preparing, letting those people know, hey, you need to pay attention to this one, etc., But in the end, you, you can't just sit around and think that if, well, if I pay a lot of attention to this hurricane, it might go somewhere else. It's going to do what it's going to do. And so much in the world is like that. And that's why, again, you stick to decentralized solutions. And then what you get are a thousand people taking a shot at the same goal. Some of those shots are going to go in. And it's impossible to shut it all down. The government hates cryptocurrency. Have they successfully shut down cryptocurrency? After a, by the way, these people are like, it's telemania. It's, it's over a decade now. It's over 10 years. The, 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 cryptocurrency has outlasted a lot of companies that people were sure were sure things. Cryptocurrency has outlasted politicians at this point. So, and, and if the government 
when Bitcoin and then the associated altcoins took off. If government could have thrown a switch and made it go away, do you think they would have? Of course they would have. Did they? No. Because they decided not to? No. Because they could. Why? Because there is no place. There's no building with a big Bitcoin logo on the, on the roof where some guy lives that if you put him in federal prison for the rest of his life, Bitcoin goes away. doesn't work that way. And any solution that's decentralized can, can follow and emulate some of that. So here's some big problems I want to address the group I, with the group, and I'm sure there's a lot more. We, we're going to be definitely taking suggestions from our audiences and the collective audience, and I'm sure other group members will have other things they want to discuss. One of the things I want to talk about, though, is physical communities and the roadblocks to them. I have some ideas, but I think other members of this group may have better ideas. Maybe even people that never thought about doing this as a group before. And why? I really want to do this. At some point, I really want to do this. Which means I'm emotionally attached to the idea. When you become emotionally attached to an idea, you are more subject to tunnel vision, and getting outside input is more, not less important. Somebody with no attachment to the idea, that simply approaches the idea from the standpoint of, oh, you're trying to open that box. Well, here's five different ways you can try to get that box that you can't get open to open. That person doesn't actually care if the box gets open, or they, they care only because you care. But they haven't sat up at night obsessing about the box itself. They're only simply trying to solve a problem. And when you look at something like a physical community, it's not a problem. It's tremendous numbers of problems. So you can solve any one of them, but that's like whack-a-mole. Then you got another one that pops up. So how do you, how do you solve the problems? I mean... One of the things that I've often thought that if the really probably the way to do this is to find, you know, some place that's far enough from big cities but still small townish enough to work where people are pretty much already left alone to a large degree and just start moving people in. Kind of like the Free State Project at like a town or county level. And not really trying to change the town or the county. Because on some levels, if people want to live a certain way and you're trying to change it so it's not that way anymore, you on some level are aggressing upon them. Including if what they want to live like is a statist. Again, you're the goose. You want to live with your goslings and your fellow geese and you want them to leave you alone. You want to be left alone, but you don't want to be alone. I think that's a good philosophy. Well, physical communities, there's probably a hundred ways to do them, so it's something I want to talk about more. Health and nutrition, and the concept that words are made into a crime. Whenever I talk about things that I know to be true about health and nutrition, I have to be very careful in how I say them. If I say something does something, I always try to cite a study and say, this study indicates that this thing probably does this other thing. Because if I come out and say, this thing does this thing, Even if there's 200 random you know, double-blind studies that say it does, and I'm making the claim I can be considered practicing medicine and making health claims, and they can put me in prison for that. They can seize my assets for that. I want to know how to get around that. I want to know how people can have free, open discussions about the things in the world that do, in fact, despite the fact that the government says you can't say it, treat and or cure diseases. Or prevent them. I can't say that a substance treats, cures, or prevents a disease, even if it does. Without on some level it being not just a crime, but a felony. 
Do you realize how sick that is? So how do we get a place where we can say, like, inside this space, everybody has decided that your shit doesn't apply to us, and we're having a a master, we're just having a brainstorming this session. No one's selling anybody anything, so, you know, F off elsewhere. Kindly, F off elsewhere. Leave us alone. We do not wish to be alone. We simply wish to be left alone. And, and I... I think this is an area with so much potential to do so much good. I can't tell you what keto did for me. I try, but I can't really. I'm a different human being than I was 11 months or 10 months ago now. What? Don't nine months ago? Nine months at about 65 pounds. I'm not just. I've lost weight. I've not just lost weight. I've not just lost. Weight. I look. People are telling me you look like you're hitting the weights. I'm not. It's all nutrition. It's all balancing hormones. And it is a lot to do with supplementation as well. I can't come out and directly say, go do these things. I have to phrase it properly. I do these things, and this is what happened to me. And as long as I actually don't sell those things, I'm really pretty safe. And I still have to be careful just because of my level of being a public personality. How do we create in the best way possible, use the term safe spaces for these discussions. How do we create a place like, we're going to go over here and discuss this, and we know you have all these rules, but everybody that went to this place agreed that they don't need your rules. I'm sure there's a way to do it. How? How? Same with the physical communities. What? I want to talk about why we can't expect the education system to actually do anything differently and why that means we need to proactively create our own systems of education. Not system of education. Systems of education. And how we can do that and how we can empower people to create unlimited self-learning pathways that can then be grabbed and pieced together into a curriculum for anybody based on anything they want. I won't say much more about that because I spent the whole day yesterday on education. But imagine that. And we're so close. When you look at things like um, Khan Academy and um, all the places, like, I can't think of what they're called now, but there's places like where you can set up your own course and sell it or whatever. But imagine if we get it towards pieces, parts, and open source. And, and literally a person with like something akin to a drag-and-drop technology uh, can say, you know, like almost like Ajax, and grab modules from everywhere at the same time and say, I want to create an educational pathway for myself that leads to this place. And I'm going to put all these pieces together, and I'm going to leave these open spots that are there and they're designed so that when I get to that place, at that point, I know enough to figure out what I want to do next. I mean, it's unlimited the type of people we can allow to self-create new versions of themselves that way. I want to talk about feeding the world. But I want to change the discussion on that. I, everybody that's not a sociopath and a psychopath wants people to be well-fed. There is nobody who is not a complete psychopath that actually wants people to starve. I think we all agree, even the people that are put in prison, that we collectively would say, you know, beyond the state's systems... This person did something, and they need to go to a place where they're not capable of doing it again. Whether we call it a prison or something else, we want them in that place. 
with all but the most heinous crimes that are probably deserving of death, we want them fed. We want them fed. So certainly some person that never did any harm to anyone, including us, on the other side of the world, we don't want them living in famine. Nobody, nobody wants people starving. Everybody wants people fed. But the solution always comes down to how do we feed the world? Rather than how do we teach the world to feed itself? If you look at the work Jeff Lawton does, it's, it's a perfect example of this. Jeff goes into some place, often in the third world, and his number one goal is when I leave, what I teach can be sustained and replicated by the people that are left behind. Not, you know, the, 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 some, something like the, uh, the United Nations or something with an initiative coming in and saying, we're going to feed these people. You know, I kind of look at that as there is a place for that type of activity. And it's like, okay, you came in to the hospital, and your leg is broken, and it hurts. Well, the first thing I want to do is get your pain under control. So I can give you a medication that, that dampens the pain or even numbs the pain, even takes away the pain. But that's not sustainable. I just can't keep you doped up on morphine for the rest of your life because you have a broken leg. i got to fix the leg. And it might even be uncomfortable when I fix it. If it's really bad, like uh, Jason from the audience, who, who recently broke his leg falling off a roof, might have to have a surgeon go in there and drill holes and put pins and, and, and put it back together with metal plates so that it can heal. But eventually then we can take those things off and you can walk again for yourself. Right? That's how we have to look at feeding the world. We have to teach the world to feed itself. And we have techniques and tactics where we can use the strategy of teaching the world to feed itself as our guiding thing that we're all in agreement on. And then we can find in this place, with these people, in this culture, in this particular environment, do we need to actually feed them for a day and give them a fish? while they learn to fish. But by God, we need to figure out what type of fishing works in this place. And fishing is a metaphor, for God's sakes. All right? I want to have discussions like that. I want to talk about reversing the trend of domesticating human beings and why feral doesn't mean what you think it means. When I say feral, I think if I got the majority of people, especially that know anything about the outdoors and hunting and farming or whatever, and I was playing the word association game, like I say black, you say white. If I say feral, you'll say hog. Feral hog, right? And we think of the feral hog as a problem. The pig is a problem. We have these pigs all over Texas. They're destroying everything. Let me tell you, I have hunted Texas over a very broad area including places where people say we have a hog problem. I have seen hogs create a problem in a cornfield. I absolutely have. A cornfield is not a natural thing. And I'm sure some biologist somewhere can try to prove me wrong on this, but in the macro, I have not actually seen hogs really destroy an ecosystem. I've seen them alter it, but alter doesn't mean destruction. And before you start telling me, well, they went over here and they did this, and now this is happening, and they're eating baby deer and whatever... Are there any, is, is there actually a problem with the deer population? Or does it adversely affect your ability to sell rack bucks to people who want to shoot them out of a box blind? Because that's also not natural. 
I'm not even put it down. It's just not a natural way for humans to be hunter-gatherers, to sit in a box blind with a rifle over a thing throwing corn four times a day, shooting a deer with a high-powered scope, and paying money based on how many points and how big the rack is. So that so if the if the, the pig is predating some on fawns, as long as the deer population is healthy, you can't make the case that it's a problem. So the feral hog is a problem in our mind. And let's let's expand on that a little bit with some contextual knowledge. There was a, 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 a catastrophic period around what's known as the Younger Dryas in, in around 10,000 years ago in North America that looks like, most likely, Graham Hancock and I can't think of the other guy's name right now, Randall Carlson or Wright in their assertion that it was a meteor impact probably around where Greenland is. And you can still see the scars on the earth. And that and other things, and probably not humans hunting them to extinction because that doesn't actually make sense, wiped out something like 90% of the species of megafauna in North America. And I think megafauna are specifically animals over a certain weight, like 70 pounds or 100 pounds or something like that. So big animals, not squirrels and bunnies. 90% of the species of megafauna were wiped out and the buffalo are not coming back. So this continent could do with some megafauna. A pig is a megafauna. Megafauna doesn't mean dinosaurs like some people think. It means relatively large animals. That's megafauna. We're missing giant camels that used to run around here. We're missing the mammoths. Basically, North America, we had our own elephants. If we can handle giant woolly elephants, we can handle a pig. The feral pig is expressing fully what it means to be a pig. If it kills a fawn, it's a predator. We kill adult deers with pretty racks. It is more natural than we are. The way you control a species, I talked about this in a recent episode, is you domesticate it. The way I control my ducks, they're domesticated. They were a fairly domesticated breed that I have further domesticated to my ends. They are trained to go here and there at different times of day. They rely on me for food. They are dependent upon me. Therefore, I can influence their behavior. The reason that gardening is actually a revolutionary, and I, dare I say an insurrectionist act, is it removes dependence. Everything that removes dependence is an insurrectionist act against a system that seeks to control you. Well, it also moves you away from domestication. The goal of the state is the full and complete total domestication of the human species. It's why they are feminizing males, because males are naturally more resistant to domestication than females. That is not a sexist statement. Facts do not have feelings. I am sorry. You can see this in so many other species other than humans. That is not about... The, the female is domestic and belongs in the kitchen. It's actually the opposite. The female designs, is designed to be feral, just like the male. We have things that we have greater natural tendencies to do well. We have different psychologies, and there's always the exception. There's the female that's very masculine in thought, and the male that's very feminine in thought. They're the exceptions, not the general. And that's okay, and there's room for that. But in general, remember, the state doesn't control individuals, because individuals are impossible to control. So they remove the differences from individuals as much as possible. They tell you to see the difference is wrong. To be proud of the difference is wrong. 
We will exceptionalize only certain individuals and then we will use them to sell a collective nature. If you put a group of people into a place and you want to brainwash them, the very first thing you do is take away their clothes and give them all the same clothes so they all look the same and cut their hair. Sound familiar? Boot camp, basic training. You're all equally worthless. It's a form of brainwashing. It has a goal and an agenda in the military, but it's what it is. You send them to a private school. You put everybody in the same clothing. You want everybody to conform to something. You tell everybody to wear a mask, even if it's not going to matter. You take away their individuality, and you think that their individuality is now expressed through a mask that looks different than your neighbors, but you all look the same. You even have your experts come on TV and say, as it's becoming clear that asymptomatic spread isn't going to happen anyway, and this is all pointless. If we all wear masks, it takes away the stigma from the people who really have to do it. That happened. That's an actual quote from a expert a health expert on the media. Dehumanizing through domestication is the mantra of the state. That's when we put the children in school. They go in a straight line. They march from room to room. It's not just because it's efficient and it works, because it's dehumanizing. It is collectivizing. It is removing individuality. Therefore, it is domestication. All the cows go in the chute to the slaughterhouse because they're domesticated. Because they're domesticated. And it's easy with a cow because the cow is naturally an animal that moves in a herd. All bovines are herd animals. They're herd species. Humans are primates. Primates always function in small bands in limited territories. Always. Every primate. You will never find, other than humans who have broke with our natural state, a place where a thousand primates live in a group. There's no primate species. And I'm not a biologist. Maybe there's one. I don't know. Prove me wrong. My instinct is there's a definite cap that's fairly low on the number of primates that live in a collective group. Because my dad gone ducks to it based on generation. I have ducks that are about a year and a half old, and I have ducks that are about nine months old. And I can tell you who's who, even though they all sleep in the same place. When I open the door, group A goes this way and group B goes this way. They did that themselves. I didn't teach them to do that. They self-organize. If a duck can self-organize, people can self-organize. And this is the mindset that we have to have if we're going to solve these problems. And it comes from the movement we call rewilding. And I much prefer feral. Because feral really is wild. But it's a word that we use because we simply don't like the results. We don't, we don't refer to the elk that live in the Rocky Mountains is feral elk. However, we have domesticated elk. There are elk farms, and some of those elks get away. And when they get in the woods and they go back to being wild elks, we don't call them feral elks. We call them wild elks. The pig is a revolutionary. The pig is an insurrectionist. If you have a well-herded group of cattle, they're used to being herded. There's actually places where they have open shared rangeland. Everybody browns their, brands their cattle and lets them go. And they wander around in a herd and you round them all up and they all willingly come back. Try that shit with pigs. You put the pig in a confined environment and that pig uses his pigginess, his nose, his ears, his eyes, his senses. And he looks for a tiny, tiny ass crack. He can be a big, fat, pink, domestic pig. He looks for the smallest 
crack, the smallest hole in the wire, and if it's big enough, if he can make it big enough, if he can wallow through it, he's out and he's gone and he's done. And in one to two generations, the pink pigs start to turn black. Because it's the natural state of the pig. It's the pig expressing his pigginess. And feral means, the reason we say feral is we object to it. We didn't want this to happen, so it's feral versus wild. No, dummy, it's wild. But if you want to use that label, just as Vin loves the label crypto savage, I say, how about feral humans? It's not what they want, and we're going to do it anyway. I am not a cow. I am not here for you to milk me of blood and milk until I run out of usefulness and then slaughter me. I am a pig. You have imprisoned me. You have imprisoned me, but I will not stay in the prison. I will push on the fence at all times. I will rub up against it. I will accept being shocked once in a while, and I will figure it out. And when I get out of the fence, I know there's another fence, and I'm going to start working on that one, and I'm not going to stop doing it, and I'm going to be example to others, and I'm going to take others with me, and we're all going to go feral together, and if you don't like it, you can very well shove it up your collective asses. Be feral. Rewild. All right. This also then fits into what John Bush calls freedom cells. And, and, and I, I'm not sure how to make this happen because I've seen so many people try versions of it. And what I generally find is people find each other and they all live very far apart. And if you want to be a freedom cell and you live close together and you collectively do things to have each other's back, you need people that are right in the backyard. But isn't that what I just described with primates? Primates naturally form groups of primates that, that, that collectively work together within their territories and self-organize. You are a primate. I don't care what you believe spiritually. You don't have to believe that man evolved from a monkey. You're still a primate. You look like a primate. You have the same hands and feet as a primate. You're bipedal. You, you, you have the same face as a primate. You're a primate. If you believe you were created individual and separate from the other primates, that's okay with me. I'm not going to tell you what to believe about God. You're still a primate. And you still act like a primate. And you're still your natural state is the state of a primate. It is not in a city of 8 million plus people living in 300 square miles. It is not the natural state of a human being. I've been called on that. You know, you, have, you can't say that. That's a biologist thing. I, I don't believe in people's titles making them correct. Credentials do not equal correct. All I have to do is look at how humanity lived for over 10,000 years at least and more like 300,000 years before sociopaths that wanted to control other people changed how we lived. And there is no state where humans have ever lived sustainably in large-scale, high-density cities. It's never happened. It can't happen. It doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. So we need to rewild ourselves, and, and creating these freedom cells, it's like creating our own troops in the world of primates. That, hey, I got your back. I'm here for you. And I want to talk more about that because it's something I'm not strong on, but I bet other members of the group are. We need to also understand technology is our ally. One of my issues with the people that call themselves the rewilders is that they tend to shy away from technology. I'm going to build a friction fire. Yeah, I'm going to live better through chemistry. I've got a Bic lighter that's, that's cased so that it's not going to get wet and a little thumb case on my freaking keychain, and I've got a fair seam rod. And inside that little case is like Vaseline-soaked freaking cotton ball. 
I'm going to get a damn fire. And I'm glad you know how to do a friction fire. So do I. If I absolutely have to, if you take away everything, I still know how to do it. I'm not afraid of technology. A friction fire is a technology. If, you're, if you don't think we should be using technology to make fire, then you need to sit around and wait for a lightning bolt to hit something and go get an ember. And if you put it in a smudge pot so it doesn't burn out, you're using a technology. Technology is our friend. And technology is the arms race that the government cannot win. And the more technology, the less it is possible for the government to win the technology arms race. Because technology can be developed by two really smart guys in a garage. And not to make an Apple computer and that whole mythology behind that bullshit, but to create a currency that disrupts the entire financial order. That the powers that be despise and eventually try to co-opt a piece of it because they cannot, cannot infinity stop it. And even if they ever figure out a way to stop this generation of it, there'll already be another generation of it. Because technology is something that is too decentralized to actually control. And we need to embrace technology. I want to talk about how we can use technology to do things that we want to accomplish as individuals seeking individual insurrection through group action. And I want to also talk about creating a whole new generation of polymaths. Part of domestication is you remove the capability of the organism to take care of itself. That's, that's domestication. That's literally what domestication is. I want to take this organism, whatever it is, and make it dependent on me in these ways. And I also decide what I want to leave as its core capabilities to make my life easier. I, I want the cow to need me to feed it or to move it to a place where it can eat grass. Very much want that. I don't want the cow so incapacitated it doesn't know to eat grass anymore and I have to hook it up to a feeding tube. That's not worth doing. right? I want my ducks to be able to go out and eat bugs, but I also want them to like the duck food enough to go to bed every night. So this is what is done with humans. And it's you, you sit and you wonder why every generation seemed to have less skill sets than the one that preceded it. I do not have the skill set, as much as I have worked on it, honestly, I do not have the skill set of my grandfather. There was literally nothing the man could not do. I saw him fix a boat motor in the middle of a river one time. That, to this day, I don't know how he got it to run. The carburetor pretty much needed to be rebuilt. He used a screwdriver and his head and got the motor running. I, and, and knowing what I know about carburetors now, I still don't know why it ran. I should know more than my grandfather. In some ways, I do. In some ways, I don't. I guarantee you that my grandfather knew more about running an old-school moonshine still than I do. Right? Because we have new ways of doing that that are easier, and frankly, they're better. So, I do have a, a broad skill set, but it took a very conscious desire and an extreme curiosity as a child to take as much as I could from my father and my grandfather. Because by then, the wheels of domestication were already in gear, and they were already convincing our prior generations, you don't need to worry about this, we'll take care of it in school. Hell, we even have cooking classes in school for your girls. Don't worry about it. They'll learn how to sew. Grandma, you don't need to teach her. And we have had this domestication process 
go by phase. Every 10 years, we learn a little bit less. So there's nothing for the prior generation to do to correct it without willful effort to become more skilled. And we call that being a polymath. And, 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 and Ben Franklin kind of summed it up as a jack of all trades and a master of none. But we also, when we, when we think of polymath, we tend to think of a master of many things, a Leonardo da Vinci or something. So we think that the polymath goal is so unattainable that only the truly gifted among us can do it. My grandfather was a freaking polymath. He was a coal miner and he was a carpenter that, that could do things with a framing square and a speed square that my advanced math teachers were unable to teach me in high school. Don't tell me the old man with the coal in his arm, lumps of coal embedded in his arm, wasn't a polymath, because I know better. But we have beaten that out of people. We took the skilled and convinced them that it wasn't necessary, that somebody else would do it, so they could see defeating their family, because they were working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And by the time you got to my generation, we had been reduced in what we knew, And we were really killing ourselves. And by then we had fully embraced two-income households. So it's no surprise to me that the millennials are now parents to Gen Z. And it's the least skilled generation in history. I didn't say dumbest or stupidest. Least hard skill set possessing generation in history raising the next generation. Let me tell you something, though. They're fighting back. And the Internet is what's, what's changed this entire dynamic. Because they're like, shit, no one taught me how to do this. I wonder if there's... Some, oh, there's a video. And so it's not the whole generation, but it is a huge segment that are basically going feral by becoming polymaths. See, that's what it means to be feral. If you are a feral human, that does not mean you live in a grass hut in the middle of nowhere and eat with your toes. It means you're a polymath like our grandparents and great-grandparents were. They were feral. Some of the shit our government does today, if they would have tried to do that to our grandparents, our grandparents not would have got angry, not would have protested, our grandparents would have killed them outright. And they would have got away with it because it wouldn't have been you know, one person willing to do it. They would have all just looked at each other and said, What? My, my grandparents grew a garden and what have you, but they had good friends that were farmers. If the government and a corporation had come in and told those men, those farmers, you cannot save your own seed, we have a patent on the seed that we sold you, we own the right to that life form, those men would have killed them. I'm not suggesting killing anybody. I'm telling you those men would have killed them. And they had backhoes, and they would have disappeared in a cornfield somewhere, and no one would have ever seen them again. Because they were feral. And they knew how to do shit, and no one actually tried to do it to them. Number one, because people don't want to get killed. And number two, because they had a plan. And they knew, oh, we don't need to fight this battle in 1968 and have a damn insurrection on our hands We have a tactic of dwindling down their skill set, their knowledge, and their numbers called the education system. And the beauty of that is, as effective as it was, as bad as it is, it is something that anybody can intentionally reverse 
rather quickly because the human mind has a capacity to learn exceeded by nothing in the known universe. I didn't say exceeded by nothing in the universe, nothing in the known universe. Nothing known to us exceeds our capacity to change that course and to learn, adapt, improvise, overcome, and by God, go feral again. And we do that through creating this new generation of polymaths. I want to talk about that. And I want to end today with Bill Mollison, who we started out a quote with today about the revolution that is permaculture, outlined every bit of this for you. Chapter 14 of the Permaculture Design Manual, published in 1988. Everything that you think is new is in the PDM. It might just use different words. I think it was H.G. Wells. It was one of the early sci-fi writers. Basically described satellites before they existed. Right? And he said they would be made out of bricks. But they would, like, orbit around the Earth and bounce signals. It was exactly a description of uh, the satellites. And it might not have been Wells. It might have been somebody else. But there was somebody. And this was... Before we even really thought of building a rocket in earnest. This is pre-World War One. I. I think it was around 1890-something that this concept was, was put out there. So he understood the thing, but he, he called it something different. Because the technology wasn't there to match the idea yet. So Bill Mollison called them LETS, local exchange, right? So it was basically a script. You create your own paper money, like Ithaca Hours. Cryptocurrency. If, if cryptocurrency would have existed in 1988, on the diagram in the Chapter 14 of the manual, it wouldn't have said let's, it would have said cryptocurrency. It's no different than when you watch a movie like Back to the Future, And you see he's looking at a newspaper, and the articles change in the newspaper, but it's still a newspaper. And it says, you know, it, rain will be there in five minutes. Yeah, we just have it on a phone app. They're apps. We have news apps, and as soon as a new story comes up, it pops up in your app. You look in the weather app, and you have collective intelligence. I say it's raining. The guy behind me says it's raining. The guy behind him says it's raining. You're ahead of us. We know the direction. It'll tell you light rain will begin in about one hour, last for about 30 minutes. Exactly what was in the movie Just call it something else. If you take and you read in earnest chapter 14 of the Permaculture Designer Manual, it is an outline for the referraling and the changing of human beings into self-organizing groups of polymaths. It is an exact description. And it's interesting to me that every permaculture instructor I know, it is their, when they teach a PDC, you teach chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, all the way to chapter 14. It's 14 days. One day on each chapter. And they all hate teaching chapter 14. And I'll tell you why. Number one, it's hard. It's hard. Because it's hard to understand. Because it's completely counter to the way we've been conditioned to live. Instead of behaving like a domesticated creature, you're behaving like a feral individual who chooses to work within groups that have common ideals. Number two, Not all, but within the world of permaculture, many instructors are very much of the liberal, socialist, communist mindset. And that is completely counter to what they want. But I'm going to end with this. They think that it is. Because, again, they want the same thing you do. They have been convinced that using the force of the state is the only way to obtain it, and anybody that opposes it is clearly unethical and wants people to starve and to die. Well, if you try to 
have a discussion with that person and you come at it from attacking their ideology, they're going to do what any organism does when attacks, when they're attacked. They're going to defend themselves relentlessly because you're attacking in their mind now who you are. But you can lead that person to liberty almost immediately if you focus only on the goals. You don't say anything about what the state should be able to do or not, and if they say something about it, you ignore it. And you keep discussing ways that humans can do that for themselves now. That's I understand, but like, how can this group do that now? Well, they could do this. That's a really good idea. Why don't you say more about that? And I'm not saying everybody can be reached that way, but it's amazing how many people I've reached that way. I've seen people go from basically a liberal to an anarchist in a weekend without anybody being dumb enough to use the word anarchist. I've seen conservatives do it too. One in particular was actually browbeaten into it. That's the only time I ever saw that work. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you again, just you're back to focusing on the ideals. But if you really want to understand the concept of being able to create local economies, trading first within the local economies and trading outside of them, making them as self-sufficient as possible, get a hold of the PDM and read Chapter 14. It's not an easy read because, honest to God, when you read one to two paragraphs written by Mollison, you could end up with ten pages of notes. Every word is chosen precisely, and every idea is conveyed precisely. And then you have to take that precision and be willing to say, yes, but, in 1988... Bill Mollison had no idea there would be a thing called a Bitcoin. And how does that fit in? What does this modern technology fit into this idealism? So that's my final thoughts on that. But I'm really excited about this. I hope that this uh, discussion excited you guys today. And uh, I look forward to your input on it as we build it. We will keep doing it as open source as possible. With that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Let me remind you that you can help support this show. By doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day for you is Lakanto's Monk Fruit Sweetener. I first learned about this from a YouTuber named Thomas DeLore as I uh, went through my journey on keto. And, man, i got to tell you, this was a find. It is basically sugar that's not sugar. It has no calories. It has no carbohydrates. It is a one-to-one replacement, meaning if your recipe calls for a teaspoon of sugar, you use a teaspoon of it. It comes in brown and white, and I don't actually use a lot of it. I'm not big on sugar. That made kind of going to keto easy, but there's times, man. There's times when sugar makes sense. How about a meat rub? Brown sugar in a meat rub. I have a, a recipe, and if you don't want, if you don't care about carbohydrates, you can just, instead of using a Lakanto, use brown sugar. Um, but I have a, a, an awesome uh chocolate coffee rib rub today for you guys and it's it's amazing and i give the recipe away for free you don't have to buy anything you can just have it i also have a chocolate coffee that's amazing and you can use regular sugar if you're not worried about carbohydrates but my thing with sugar is even if you're not going to go low carb or whatever if you use sugar to sweeten drinks and all do you realize how much good you can do for yourself just by going to a no calorie sweetener what's the problem most of them taste like ass that's the problem this stuff I'm not going to say it tastes exactly like sugar. I'm going to say it tastes almost exactly like sugar, like 98%. It's enough that if you use it for a couple weeks, any concept of an aftertaste or funny taste will go away. And they do it by taking something called erythritol and monk fruit and combining them. And what I found with a lot of the artificial sweeteners is any individual one of them has 
the funky thing right going on. When you combine a bit of each, they cancel each other out. And monk fruit along with the erythritol, perfect. And this has also been tested by YouTubers as far as the blood sugar response, where you know they take their blood sugar, they eat a couple tablespoons of this crap. I don't know how. I could never eat two tablespoons of sugar straight, but they do it. They wait 30 minutes, they take their blood sugar again, no blood sugar spike. Because some of the so-called artificial sweeteners, the spike is almost as bad as pure sugar. And you're fooling yourself. This actually works. It's affordable. It's great. I give away, again, some recipes. And, again, even if you're not keto, low-carb, um, man, just replace half your sugar with this. And you'll be healthier for it. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. So today's song is Sandman. No, 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 not Andrew Sandman. Sandman by America. Remember in uh, America Week, and I don't mean the country, I mean the band America named after the country. Um, this song was written uh, by three members of the band. They were all sons of American military service members stationed in England. They formed the band while they were going to high school near London and stayed in an area when they graduated in 69 and got a record deal. That was the height of the Vietnam War, and the trio would often encounter soldiers that would see action and hear their war stories. Burnell wrote this song based on uh, the tales that, that he heard, stories of how, when stationed in Vietnam, they were afraid to sleep for fear of attack, so they would stay up as long as they could, sometimes with the help of various substance. Since sleep could mean death, the Sandman represents sleep, which they feared. Thus, they were always running from the Sandman. This is one of America's lesser-known songs because it was never released as a single. And like I said this week, we're going to go through some of their well-known hits and some of their lesser-known songs and I think highly underrated songs. Today, I think if you listen to music from this time and of this style, uh, you've probably heard this song many times because with things like Pandora, it will eventually come up as something that is uh, associated I think if you give it a listen, you're probably going to give it a thumbs up, and I think you'll enjoy it today. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. All the planes have been grounded. Ain't the fire inside. Let's all go stand around it.
Sky like an eagle in the eye of a hurricane that's abandoned. 